0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Collision, Part 3, written by Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Mercedes Lackey. They had been on the move ever since they had broken through John's portal and into the city. The plan had been simple. Each squad had been given a path to take. Get in, avoid detection if possible, and get to your target. Take energy readings, if it's big enough then it's probably a generator. Blow it up. Red Genie swore under his breath as he led his squad through the alleys of Ultima Thule. It was the only plan they had, the best they could do under the rush circumstances, but there were so many things that could go wrong— so many uncertainties, that he had cringed each time someone had suggested contingency measures. Call it what you wanted, even with an advance wave of infiltrators to knock out the defensive shield, this was still a kick-in-the-door approach. This was merely a prelude to a full-out assault, and he had never, ever seen one go off without a hitch. Still, it was the best they had, and during the frantic planning stages— He had kept his mouth shut. Maybe I should have raised just one or two suggestions. For one, he might have personally requested a pro-parkour team. He glanced up at the closely packed architecture of the streets. The rooftops were close enough to allow for at least one group of free-runners to race to their objective above the chaotic battles that now raged in the streets below. Mel and Scope had just begun their training, relatively speaking, and the clunky suit of armor that Silent Knight had to wear to safely contain him and his sonic weapons made him about as agile as an arthritic turtle. And there was Bull, of course. The man was as strong and stubborn as an ox, but mobility had never really been his strong suit, even before Blue had worked her voodoo on him and turned him into someone you didn't want sitting on your couch.' Not that it mattered, of course. Bull wasn't with them any more. Not after Scope had blown their entry and ruined the element of surprise, their one advantage in this whole mess of a plan. Perhaps he should have spoken up about that one, too. Bull had benched Scope, with good reason, and had been overruled by Bella. Would it have made a difference if Red had spoken up? If he had tried to scream some sense into her? Hindsight, twenty twenty, and all he could do now was deal. And he had to deal. With Bull gone, Moji had yanked Red up to a leadership role. Who else in their squad could lead? This, he told himself, was not good. History had taught him that Red Genie calling the shots had seldom, if ever, worked out well. Insanity was defined as repeating the same act with the expectation of different results. And even knowing that, he was somehow forced to repeat history. History, he had decided, was a bitch. Still, his squad had one thing going for them. Despite the bulk and plodding limitations of his armor, Silent Night had provided them something invaluable. They were able to move at good speed without a sound. The armor soaked it all up, masking their footsteps and its own clatter by simply absorbing all nearby sonic energy. Scope's eyes warned them of danger. Red was adept at finding concealment and could easily herd them under cover. and when they needed to move at a dead and silent run, night would make it happen. Overwatch to Genie Red brought his squad to a halt and ushered them from sight under a nearby alcove. He signaled Knight to turn off the sound dampening. What is it, Vix? he whispered. We're on the run here. Tell me what you need, other than a miracle, and throw my eyes into the air, please. What we need is a do-over, he muttered, as he released the latch on his rucksack and let the eyes fly up and vanish. No can do. Map on HUD. You guys are blue. Kriegers are red. You've gotten behind them. You're the only ones who have. Everyone else has been spotted. Do you see your objective? Yeah, about that. Red popped his head out of hiding and gave his surroundings a quick once-over. You realize now that your secret Nazi utopia schematics were... incomplete, right? I realized that from the get-go. I didn't have a lot of data-mining time on the first pass. I'm map-correcting on the fly. Don't be too hard on yourself, Red said. Looks like the overall layout's about right. The city's sectioned off like you said, but they've made a few changes to Hitler's wet dream. Hence, eyes. Keep checking your HUD. I've got them spread out in a cone along your probable route. (laughs) Alleys. "'Hitler didn't think of them. These guys did. Good place for sneaking. "'See, here and here? Guesses that's what alleys are usually for, which means low traffic.' "'The map in the HUD was changing, even as he looked at it. "'If we figure efficiency, I'm thinking these buildings here are probably combined waste handling and warehouses. "'Maybe they've got something that can take waste and recycle it into food and parts.' Okay, those make sense, but what do you make of the giant towers they've got circling the middle ring? Red could actually see one, rising over the rooftops from where he and the others were huddled under an overhang. A tower, not unlike an elongated pyramid shape, surmounted with a half-globe. It looked rather like a mushroom. The half-globe itself was covered with a skin of something... white. Matte rather than shiny. They could be anything, Vix said. Their spacing suggests communication towers, defensive centers, or... (gasps) Red heard her gasp. I'm afraid to ask, he said. You know you tend to squeak when you give me bad news. Then I'd better show you, Vix answered. The video sprang up on his HUD, and Red watched in horror as the video feed from one of Vicky's eyes, now high above the city, gave him a startling aerial view of one section of the Ring of Towers. From the base of each, dozens of Thulean foot soldiers and robot wolves came streaming out and began to fill the streets. And from the tops, giant robotic eagles took flight high above, directing the ground troops towards the various skirmishes that raged around the city. Defensive sunners, Red muttered grimly. Barracks by the looks of them. Okay, how about we avoid the giant structures that are spitting out robots and other assorted Nazi-flavored bits of trash? Good plan, Mel whispered, her eyes wide with fear. Scope looked, well, utterly unlike herself. Stricken, sick, and very, very guilty. Red couldn't blame her for feeling guilty. Hell, she should feel guilty. If it hadn't been for her, none of them would be in the situation they were now. If Bull died... Bella won't let him die, he told himself. And he told himself that if Bull hadn't made it, Vix would have said something, so every minute that went by meant that Bella and her team were fixing things, and every minute that went by meant Bulwark was that much closer to being healed up. If Bull was gone, Vix would have told at least him, wouldn't she? Mind on the job. Knight, on the other hand, had that stance that said he was ready to kick ass and take names, and maybe do without the name-taking part. Juggling. Back later. Watch H.U.D.'s. The silence in his ear was deafening, and he suddenly felt... alone. And not in a good way. Damn it, she's got dozens of people to handle. She can't hold your hand through this one. Suck it up, Red. Watch your HUDs, people, he said through the link, rather than loud enough to actually hear. Mel and Scope weren't hardwired because Vix had run out of sets before she got to the two people who had been last on the need to wire list but Vicky had given them special headsets that projected something really close to his own IHUD into their left eyes. Knight, keep up the good work. Looks like we have the best chance. We're going in deeper. The spell let go, eventually, but not before Bella had healed the worst of the worst. Then it was a race not unlike one she had run before— the race to save him from what she had triggered when she tried to strengthen his bones and nearly killed him. Once again, she tasted the metallic flavor of terror, knew in a place outside of what she was concentrating on that her hands were shaking, felt the agony of what losing him would mean. Only it was worse, now because now she knew they really were a couple and... Oh God, if I lose him... This time it was a race to stop all the hundreds, the thousands of places where he was bleeding. The mending would come later, when the battle was over, if they all survived, if she and he got somewhere safe, if there were no more dying demanding her skills. If it hadn't been for Upir and her volunteers, it would never have been possible. She finished just as Spoonbender was starting on Bull's left leg. For whatever reason, it had been only the leg and arm bones that had bent. Maybe he'd instinctively taken the weight, the hideous pressure, on his arms and legs, as if he had been physically holding the rock from the teams. She still wasn't sure how his force field ability worked. As she leaned on the operating table, panting and sweating as much as if she had been running a marathon, she felt how much this was hurting him, even with Panacea doing pain management. She grabbed a towel and mopped her face and neck with it, as Oopir transferred her attentions to Spoonbender, who was sweating himself. You can do this, Axel, she said, quietly, putting confidence in her voice. He looked up at her, and she saw the bewilderment in his pale grey eyes, the fear in his thin, angular Middle Eastern face. She was struck by how young he was. But... It's just like working with metal inside something else where you can't see it. Here. She moved over to his side of the table, put one hand on Bull's leg and the other on Axel's forehead. I'll show you. Up here will give you all the energy you need. She showed him, showed him what she saw. Felt his bewilderment turn to sudden understanding understood at that moment herself what part of his meta-gift was. Not only did he shape metal, gently, with his mind and will, he understood at an instinctive level when something was not right with that metal and made it be right again. Microfractures, impurities in the metal. He didn't just bend metal, but acted as a sort of self-corrective cold forge for what he was working on as well. She couldn't do that, but she could guide him. "'and Upir could give him the energy he didn't have on his own. "'Slowly at first, then faster as he gained confidence, "'the bones went back, back to the shapes they should have been. "'This was easier for her. "'She didn't need the boost from Upir to guide him. "'And Marianne and Gilead had already been doing the same work "'on Bull's arms and legs that she had done on his torso, his organs.' As she had done, they had been forced to prioritize. Bull was going to feel as if someone had been doing extensive surgery to his entire body, as well as feeling as if he had been beaten to within an inch of his life. He'd be feeling that way for some time while he healed naturally. And he would probably have to heal naturally for a while. There would be other casualties besides Bulwark. They all knew this. Had he not been the first had the med unit not been empty. Triage. I'd have black-tagged him myself. They were the only healers they had, and no way to recruit more. To take four of them out for a single patient, plus Upir, at a time when there would have been casualties pouring in, would not have been right, and Bull himself would have told her so. They had to save as many as they could. "'Bulwark would have had to wait "'until they had taken care "'of the worst they could do fastest. "'He would never have made it. "'She let none of that leak "'over to Spoonbender, "'who was now riding on a wave of elation "'that he was doing something important. "'For the first time ever in his life, "'he was the only person in all of Echo, "'maybe in the whole world, "'who could have done what he was doing. "'She was not going to do anything "'to spoil that euphoria.' Among other things, it was boosting his ability, and she needed every bit he could do. And when he backed away from the table, having put everything to rights, she took his head in both her hands and kissed him. Axel dear, you are my hero, she said, and meant it. And he blushed and stammered, and the waves of happiness and... For the first time ever for him, a sense of real pride and accomplishment buoyed every one of the healers with her. Even Einhorn stopped looking panicked. She sent Spoonbender off, and they finished the job as much as it could be finished. Because there was still a war going on out there, and she had left the well-being of her teams solely in Vicky and Arthur Chang's hands. This wasn't over. This had barely begun. Soon more casualties would come in. She would have liked to pray. no one I know, please. But she knew that was impossible. Are we done here? She asked, looking at her team each in turn. And each in turn nodded. Overwatch. Ping standard med team on standby for bulwark, she said. They must have been waiting just outside the curtains, for they came in immediately. There's going to be some internal bleeding, she told them. At this point, the only thing that isn't bruised is his hair. Treat him as if he just rolled down a mile of mountain cliff. Good God, blue, he's almost the same color as you are, said one of the physicians, Dr. Shahid, half in horror and half in amusement. She wanted to touch him. And she didn't dare. For a while, any touch was just going to make the pain worse. Sylvie, she said instead. I am being put him in twilight sleep for now. There will to be no brain swelling, but there will to be some effects of concussion. I'm thinking he will wake in half an hour, no more than an hour. The beautiful Russian, who was an actual physician as well as a healer, explained what they had done to the conventional medical team as Bella caught up on the status of the infiltration. Because Gardner was only one man. The man she loved with a passion that hurt sometimes, but only one man. The rest of her people were still out there. And they needed her. If he had died... If he had died, she would have buried her heart with him and carried on. He would expect no less. And he deserved no less. John was getting worried. Red Team's luck fully ran out after three more blocks. They had easily taken out another small group of Foolians while on the move, but quickly became involved in a running battle with first one, then, in rapid succession, three more groups. According to Vix's technomagical eyes and the map on their HUDs, more Kriegers were coming to join the party. All of the approaching enemies were blocking escape routes that the team could use. John and Sarah could fly, but that would leave the rest of their comrades stranded— not to mention the possibility of being shot out of the sky. No, we're going to stick together. Only way any of us are getting out of this. Hey, boss, John said as he blasted a running Krieger once with a burst of plasma, sending the man crashing to the ground. I don't mean to worry you, but we're surrounded. Duh, poor bastards. They have nowhere to be hiding from us now. Molotov paused for a moment, apparently reviewing their options. Up ahead, one block over. Hardpoint looks to be a wall. We will hold up there. Attempt to punch through the Kriegers when their line thins out. Mamona cleared her throat as she finished reloading her rifle with a fresh magazine. <laughs> How do you know for sure their line is going to thin out? Because we are going to kill every Neshek's one we see, tovarich. He grinned. Also because if they do not, we will die where we stand. Mamona gulped hard, but didn't have anything else to add to that. The team moved out again, John in the lead. They wouldn't have much time once they reached the square with the wall. The Kriegers definitely had a fix on their position now, and it wouldn't be long before ground troops reached them, even with the slow Krieger armor. The wall that Moji had spotted turned out to be a monument of some sort in the middle of a square. On both sides it was carved with a relief sculpture of a beefy-looking woman holding a wreath over her head, flanked on either side by an equally beefy-looking man holding a sword and a shield, with two chunky horses framing the lot. There were obelisks at either end of the wall. As a hard point it would certainly do, at least better than the open street." It would take even the energy cannons of the Krieger Death Spheres a while to burn down that much marble. Even this may not be enough, Sarah said. Her voice pitched so low that the only reason they heard it was because it came through their overwatch link. We will soon be attacked on all sides. She's got a point, Moji. John looked around. All of the buildings nearby seemed to only have one entrance. While that'd mean they'd only have to cover one way in, it also meant that they wouldn't have a way out. Molotov must have surmised the same. No other options, and we are running out of time. There's nothing more to do it. Bear brushed past John and Molotov, letting his PPSH hang on its sling. "'John could faintly pick up the sound "'as the old Soviet's gyroscopic heart "'ramped up as it pumped plasma "'from his internal chamber into his gauntlets. "'The first blast he fired "'hit the base of the obelisk on the left, "'obliterating a chunk of it. "'The obelisk began to lean, "'then completely toppled over. "'Bear took a moment to judge "'the position of the first obelisk, "'then adjusted his angle "'before firing on the second. "'With a tremendous crash "'and a huge cloud of dust,' the second obelisk fell to the ground. The result was that they now had additional cover on their previously unprotected flanks. So much for fascista erections, the old man cackled. John noticed Bear wince at the end. Whenever he used his internal reserves for such a powerful blast, it weakened him a little, until he would have no more plasma left except what was needed to power his mechanical body. The rest of the team silent and internally face-palming, ran to the wall. Molotov positioned each of them in such a way that they were covering all of the avenues of approach. John's job was to focus on armor. Wherever trooper armor popped up, he was to flame it down so that the other's weapons would have better effect on target. Still, even with the cover, this looked like it was going to turn into a shit sandwich fast, and they'd all have to take a bite. John checked his rifle, making sure that his magazine was full and that he had a round chambered. Uh, Vix, he said. What's the disposition of the other teams? Anyone nearby that can link up with us? Help us get out of this jam? Negative. No one nearby. Everyone's getting pinned down except Team Blue. We're taking casualties. He heard her spout off something that sounded French. Sack. Though she said nothing else, his H.U.D. lit up with new information. None of it good. Moji, who must have been getting the same thing, swore. We should have aborted missions when Idiotski-Amerikanski made rocks to fall, he spat. But Sarah shook her head. Red Savior was right, was all she answered. But John, and surely everyone else, knew what she meant. They'd had no other choice. Red Savior, for all of her faults, and there were many, was right. Their only chance was now, win all or lose all. If they had aborted, the Kriegers would still have been alerted, and the battle would have been on their terms. If they could just get the field down. Heads up, comrades, we've got company. That was Mamona. John turned to look at her sector just in time to see four Kriegers, all in trooper armor, come around a corner. They took a second to orient on the memorial wall and fallen obelisks, then started firing. Chunks of the obelisks were blown away by the actinic beams, sending shards of marble and dust flying, and filling the air with the stink of burnt ozone. John sent a burst of fire in their direction, engulfing all of the armor at once. After letting them burn for a moment, the rest of the team opened up with their rifles, starting with the joints and moving on to center-mass shots as the armor weakened. Things became a blur of fire, energy beams, explosions and gunshots after that first squad. John was only able to keep up because of his connection with Sarah. Able to anticipate where the armored troopers would show up, combined with his overwatch HUD, he kept his fires going and their enemies weakened. "'Occasionally he would send a blast of plasma "'to take out a few targets completely, "'but for the most part he was busy augmenting the team's firepower. Mamona was deep in concentration, "'pausing in between volleys to direct her powers outward, "'extending them further than she had ever attempted before. "'The closer groups of Kriegers were disoriented by her meta-ability, "'some vomiting violently, "'others knocked off of their feet as their equilibrium was lost.' All of this served to make easy targets for the rest of the team, especially against the unarmored Kriegers. Bear fired his PPSH in long bursts, laughing and cursing in Russian, only pausing long enough to charge up his gauntlets and send a concussive plasma burst to destroy whatever the enemy was using for cover or to sometimes take down a vulnerable trooper. It was starting to wear on him, though. He couldn't keep it up forever. Sarah's rate of fire was much slower. It took her longer to manifest a fire-spear than it did to level a volley of bullets. But once she did so, she cast the weapon with all the effectiveness of Zeus's lightning bolts, unerringly hitting her target. Usually she struck for the throat of the armored Kriegers. That seemed to hit some extremely weak spot, for they would suddenly seize up and shake in place before dropping to the street, unmoving. But twice or three times she pinned two or more together— sometimes to a wall or to the ground, making them easy prey for the rest of the team. Overwatch to Red Team. Overwatch go, Moji answered, coolly finishing off a Krieger with a burst of his rifle. Reinforcements for Krieger's headed your way. You're on a hot spot with three big groups converging. There was a pause. She was undoubtedly juggling a lot, even with help from Gamayun and the Colt brothers. Update. A sphere and two wolves incoming. Two minutes. Copy. Position is untenable. Let us be hoping blue team gets through, and soon. We'll hold as long as we can. Red team, over and out. Molotov dropped down behind cover to reload. Things are becoming more complicated. Ammo check. Make your rounds count. To punctuate his sentence, he leaned around the edge of the cover he was behind, drilling two unarmored Thulian infantry with center-of-mass shots. He ducked back in time to avoid an energy bolt that was close enough to blacken the marble it passed over, before impacting on the far side of the square. One minute, said Sarah. Somehow John knew she was right. He felt the unmistakable bone-shaking hum of the Death Sphere propulsion units and sixty seconds later, the thing itself appeared over the rooftops. About half its tentacles were out, waving menacingly, and the whine of the energy cannons as they ramped up to fire was enough to set John's teeth on edge. One good blast from that thing, and we're toast. John knew what he had to do, and he knew that Sarah was in sync with him, He planted his feet, focusing on the underside of the ship, letting his fires build in his hands before snapping them out. A thick beam of plasma impacted the underbelly of the ship, cutting a gaping hole through it. He then had to shut the beam off to blast more fire at the oncoming sets of troopers, lest they be overrun. Even so, the Kriegers had taken advantage of the momentary opportunity to advance closer. But Sarah was already flinging her fire-spear with all her might at the hole he had blasted. Before anyone in the ship had time to react to John's blast, her spear shot through the opening. And whatever it hit in there, whether it was an operator or control mechanism, the effect was immediate. The entire sphere canted over sideways and began spinning crazily, tentacles whipping wildly, before it lurched back the way it had come, steadily losing height. It got just out of sight behind the rooftops when there was a tremendous explosion and a plume of orange flame and thick, billowing black smoke from somewhere near enough that the ground shook with the impact. That'll give us a little breathing room. Will it be enough? To say that Vicky had her hands full was rather like saying that the surface of the sun was just a little warm. From the moment when Scope had created a fuck-up so monumental that there were no words for it, she'd been keeping so many balls in the air, some of them the literal balls that were her flying invisible eyes, that she had lost count. But she hadn't lost track. She knew exactly where everyone was and how they were faring. Gamayun and the Colts were handling the non-meta-SFO teams. Gamayun had all the Russians, the Germans, and the Chinese— while the Colts had everyone else. Working under them were the Euro, Eurasian, and Pan-Pacific Echo Overwatch 1 leads that the Colts had been training. Herb and Gray handled her eyes, moving them as swarms rather than individually. That, at least, allowed Vicky to concentrate on the metas. The Chinese had taken the first casualty, their sniper, who'd gotten sniped himself. So far there were no actual deaths, yet. But there were a good dozen people out of the action, unless someone on their teams happened to be a healer, along with his or her primary talent. All the teams were pinned down but genies. Most had managed to take cover inside those windowless buildings. That gave them a limited port to defend, but also a limited port to fire from. Only Red Team was out in the open, She wasn't sure if that was brilliant or suicidal. Her planning for this had included a backup magical power supply. She wasn't going to rely on a single circle of mages this time. She'd been collecting boxes of batteries shipped to her by overnight messenger since long before Red Savior had blown the sitch. Crystals stuffed so full of magical energy that they glowed to normal sight. She had these arrayed in a bank of holders— and when one burned out and went dark, Gray or Herb replaced it. There were some magical things she could have done even at this distance, if she just had the time. But she didn't have the time. This wasn't two teams of infiltrators, this was eight, plus their supporting SFO teams, and all of the eyes that J.M. and Jeannie could carry. It was so crazy she didn't even have time to think about how crazy it was. All she could do was try to keep up, which was becoming increasingly harder by the moment. Within the massive circle of tower barracks, the members of Blue Team were able to make better time. It had taken some precise timing, Knight's silencing abilities, and a lot of luck, but they had crossed the threshold without detection. Now, with the bulk of the fighting happening outside the circle's perimeter, They met little resistance, just the occasional pair of sentries that regularly patrolled the city streets. Some they simply avoided, but in a few instances they had been forced to take steps. Their ambushes were silent. With night taking point, they descended on their victims, his armor soaking up the thunder of incendiaries, gunfire, and the short-lived screams of their marks. Occasionally, Knight discharged the buildup of energy into a subsonic blast himself. They were nearing their target zone. From their HUDs, it was clear they were the only ones who were. Perhaps just one squad fulfilling their bombing run would suffice. Red Genie certainly hoped so. They took shelter in another alley, and Red signaled for Knight to lift his sonic cloak and motion them together for a brief huddle. We're really close, Red whispered. Keep it tight. I don't need to tell you how bad it would be to mess up now. Scope, you've got the sensors. Pass them to Meldfire up. Scope scowled at him. I know, I know, Red said. Bull made them your responsibility. I'm making them hers. You going to fill me in on why? Scope asked. Because I don't trust you to do anything more than shoot things in the head right now, Red snapped. You can complain to Bull later, when we get back, if we get back, and if Bull's still alive. I gave you an order, soldier. Give Operative Reverie the sensors. Now. Red, please, Scope said, blanching. I can do this, please. I I need to do something now. Something... She grimaced and clamped a shaking hand to her mouth to steady herself. She shuddered and took a few deep breaths. I need to do something right, she finished, and fixed Red with a pleading look. Fine, get it running, Red sighed, rising to his feet. On me, we move in bursts. When I take cover, be right behind me. Send a ping through the comms if you pick up anything, Scope. Scope. And that was another complication. Scope and Mel were not hardwired. Vicky had run out of implants before they'd been certified for this cluster. They were on earpieces and throat mics, with little projector HUDs on stalks they had to tuck out of the way when they weren't looking at them. At least they were on the sets tied into the magic freaks, not the conventional ones. Start it up again, Knight. On three, two, one. Red took a glimpse out of the alley, scanned their immediate surroundings, and dashed across the empty street. He led them closer to the center of the city, under cover through more alleyways, making sure they surfaced on larger avenues only when necessary. Their progress was agonizingly slow, necessitated by the absolute need for stealth. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity of this, he called for another huddle. We're almost out of our target zone, he whispered, and gave Scope a questioning look. Nothing, Scope sighed as she rechecked the scanner readings. Nothing big enough anyway, not by the way Vix had these calibrated. Something big enough to power that, she pointed up at the energy field that blanketed the city, is going to spike almost off the charts on this thing. I've been getting blips, that's all. Could the source be shielded? Mel asked. I mean, I know Intel said it wasn't likely, but still. It might be, Red answered, but shook his head. But not enough. To project the field, our guys say each point of generation has to have at least one strong open focal point. The scanners should pick that up from within a few hundred feet away, easy. If we passed it, the readings should have spiked. May I? Silent Knight asked, and reached out his hand. Scope gave him an angry look in protest, thought better of it, and cast her eyes down as she passed him the scanner. Knight took up the device and opened the readout, expanding the timeline. He grunted and held it up for all to see. Red took one look and cursed. What? Scope demanded. What is it? The readings, Red scowled. Look at the trend. No major spikes, but the baseline's been dropping from the moment you turned it on. What? What does that mean? Scope asked, her voice now very small. It means, whatever we're looking for, we've been moving away from it this entire time. From beneath his scarf... Red shot Scope a furious glare, while Mel and Silent Night shared a quick, uneasy look. No one said it, but it was obviously on everyone's mind. Scope had been too eager to prove herself, had been so focused on seeing that telltale energy spike, that she had not been paying attention to the big picture. Another rookie mistake, one that had cost them precious time. The infiltrators, spread so thin now, were depending on them the one team that had made it past the bulk of the Thulian defenses, the one team who had a clear shot at lowering the defensive field to allow the rest of the Allied nations to join the assault on the Thulian city. It shouldn't have been this way. Her earlier mistake had cost them their one advantage, stealth, and now her carelessness had led them in the wrong direction. And she obviously knew it. Her look was one of shock, then horror, and then a remorse so pure and naked that it forced Mel and Knight to look away in shame. But Red didn't let her go. His eyes remained fixed on hers, and when he spoke, the strain in his voice to keep his composure was palpable. "'Let's think through this a moment,' he said, "'before things really go tits-up. "'We passed it. We must have. "'If the readings are growing weaker.' Nothing we passed by really stood out. Unless it was underground, Knight said. Even then, Red growled, shaking his head. Even then it would need a focus, something to direct the energy out. Out and... He stopped and looked to the sky. And... up, Mel said, finishing his thought. Together, they looked at the ring of towers that circled the inner city. But those are the defensive towers, Knight said. We all saw those Thulians and their robo-pets pouring out of them. They obviously house the majority of the troops in this city. Why would they ring the inner city if they're not meant to protect it? No, Red muttered, Their positioning isn't to protect the inner city, but to anchor the shield. Look, they make a perfect ring, and each can channel energy up. They're forming a keystone above us, and the rest of the shield cascades down from it. Why would they house so many troops, then? Mel asked. Because the shield's the main defense of this place, Scope offered in a shaky voice, her head bobbing in mournful understanding. And protecting the shield would be the priority. Right, Red agreed. There's shield generators first, barracks second. It's our best guess, but there's only one way to be sure. He reached out, firmly took the scanner from Scope's hands, and passed it to Mel. Scope closed her eyes, her hands falling to her sides. Let me know when we've got confirmation, Red grunted, and motioned them up for the arduous trek back. Mel hesitated, then nodded. Okay, I'll signal when we're close. But Red, each of those towers is in the open, and they're protected by multiple squads of armored Kriegers, and God knows how many wolves and eagles. How are we going to get close to them? There's nowhere to hide. I guess I'll have to think of something on the way, Red muttered. (sighs) Let's focus on getting there first. The Death Sphere had only been the beginning of the push the Kriegers had made to overrun Red Team. Luckily, they hadn't sent out any more air support in the form of spheres. Apparently, they had a lot on their plates with all of the scattered teams. John hoped that the losses for their side weren't too bad so far but he didn't count on it. There were just too many Kriegers, and not enough people on the meta-teams that could tangle with them effectively. The teams that didn't have a meta with firepowers of some sort were all issued at least one of the modified RPG systems, or grenade launchers with similar munitions. Still, it wasn't going to be enough when the teams had the entire city full of Nazis coming down on their heads. Probably all that had saved them so far was the simple fact that there was only so much room in the streets to funnel mayhem towards them. John had just flash-cooked an unarmored fire team of Kriegers that were setting up on a rooftop when the Robo-Wolves arrived. They came from two different streets simultaneously, crossing paths as they charged around the square. The team shot at them, but the bullets pinged off of their metal hides. John tried a fire blast, but the one he shot was unaffected. Evidently, this was a newer model, hardened against fire. Even one of Bear's more concussive plasma blasts was deflected, splashing off like so much water. Or... maybe not. John noticed that some of its armored hide had peeled away, exposing some wires and mechanics, maybe hydraulics. It might be immune to his fire... But not completely to Bear's concussive energy blasts. There, hit it again! Same location! Beside John, Sarah had manifested a spear without prompting, weighing it in one hand as she waited for Bear to give her a weaker target. Bear nodded wearily, then turned, plasma collecting in his gauntlet. His eyes tracked the wolf that he had damaged as it ran through the square. Spotting his chance, he raised his gauntlets and fired off a precisely aimed but much more powerful burst. It caught the wolf in the exact same spot, sending it tumbling along the ground, crushing an armored suit and its accompanying unarmored infantry. The wolf's entire shoulder was ripped open, one leg missing and its ribs showing, showering sparks. Sarah seized the moment and raced forward out of cover a few steps, flinging her spear like an Olympic javelin thrower. It impaled the wolf, sending a shuddering spasm through it, not unlike a seizure, which had the effect of sending its flailing limbs tearing at more of its allies that had the misfortune to be within range. By the time the seizure was over and the wolf dead, Sarah was back under cover again. Bear sagged to the pavement, groaning and panting. He didn't even try for a quip. It was clear that the effort had depleted his reserves. He only had enough plasma left to power his mechanical body and heart. Here, old Bear, Hunter grunted, handing the old man a metal flask. Bear tasted it, then gulped it greedily. John got the harsh whiff of vodka. Sorry, didn't yet pack, chef old boy. Pavel perked up slightly after downing the entire flask, enough to shoulder his rifle again. Next time, we'll not have oversight, da? Before Untermensch could answer, the remaining wolf charged directly at their cover. It was followed by a large number of infantry, all of them firing energy weapons. Molotov scowled, focusing his fire on the infantry instead of the wolf. Prepare to be defending yourselves. The infantry was advancing from three directions. This was the push, where they'd try to overwhelm Red Team and finish them off. Let's see what we can do about that. John concentrated for a moment, then shouted to the team. Get down! Everyone ducked instinctively. Once he was sure no one was in danger he released a gigantic, explosive cloud of fire from his hands. The cloud raced out, almost instantly engulfing the wolf and the infantry that followed it. Several of the infantry were panzerschreck-like two-man teams. The munitions they were carrying immediately cooked off, causing secondary explosions inside the cloud of flame. John could feel the wolf getting knocked down, its sensors confused by the blasts. He continued to pour on the fire for another second. The infantry from the other two directions were just about to reach them, and he'd be open to getting shot in the back if he didn't start paying attention. Hope that was enough. After that, John didn't have any more time to think. The Krieger infantry stormed over the barriers and was amongst the team. The trooper armor was still advancing slowly, but they were no longer firing for fear of hitting their own. The first thing John did was to bring his rifle up, dropping five Kriegers with short bursts in quick succession. With his rifle empty, he let go of it, transitioning to his 1911. Firing almost as fast as he could pull the trigger and switch targets, three more Kriegers were dead for sure, with a fourth down on the ground. In the back of his mind he felt a chill of... something. Too detached to be awe and a little akin to fear. He knew how good his senses were with his enhancements keyed, but this was a magnitude past that, anticipating exactly what his foes were going to do and where they were going to be, even when he couldn't actually see them. He ducked under an energy bolt from a Krieger pistol, reloading his own pistol, turning and aiming all at once. He emptied the gun again at his attacker and two more Kriegers. The fighting was too close for more shooting, so he holstered his pistol. Three Kriegers rushed him all at once, one of them armed with a knife. He stood his ground, waiting for them to get closer. With the first one finally in range, John kicked out his knee, hyper-extending it backwards with a gut-churning crack, causing the Thulian to fall to the ground screaming. The other two reached him at the same time. He dodged the wide-arced swipe from the one with the knife, parrying the kick of the second one with an open-handed slap that complemented the Thulian's momentum. Knowing he had a second until that one was back in the fight, he turned to the knife-wielding Krieger in time to catch the man's wrist mid-lunge with both hands. He squeezed and felt the bones in the man's arm give way. With a sharp tug, John carried the man and his knife past himself, planting the knife in the shoulder of the second Thulian as he recovered. Releasing the Krieger's arm, he finished him off with a vicious punch to the Krieger's throat, resulting in an audible crunch and a spray of blood from the man's mouth. The second Krieger had pulled the knife from his shoulder when John simply turned to him, raised a hand, and set the Thulian on fire. The man stumbled backwards over the barrier, still clawing fruitlessly at the flames. John had a scant moment to survey the fighting. The oddest thing struck him now. The smell. It made his hackles rise with the instinctive reaction to Alien. He vaguely remembered that same smell back in the North American headquarters, and again from that pop-up cell he and Sarah had caught in the old school. But it hadn't been that strong, perhaps because there had been so many humans among the creatures they had called Fulians. But these Kriegers were all Fulians, and their bodies smelled wrong. Their blood smelled wrong. Even though the scent was like several things. Orange, burned cinnamon... Musk. His body recognized that it was not actually those things. It was other, and reacted accordingly. He was aware of Sarah even though he couldn't actually see her, only the wash of fire that showed where she stood, or leapt, or flew. Surrounded by fire, she was a dervish with a sort of flame, spinning like a deadly top, leaping over the heads of her opponents, aided by powerful thrusts of her wings, to land behind them and take them out from the rear. He was also aware how she mourned each and every death, feeling that grief with a depth even he couldn't fathom. And yet, she did not allow that sorrow to stop her. Unter and Bear were working together, fighting back to back, Unter's nearly indestructible hands lashed out with precision and fury, blocking both knives and unarmed blows from the Kriegers or striking with deadly accuracy. Bear, who was still flagging, took several blows to his metallic body, but wasn't nearly as affected as he should have been, to the dismay of his attackers. With butt strokes from his ppsh he would clear the space immediately in front of him, then hose down several Kriegers at once with bullets. Neither joked nor chided the other. Momona was frantically trying to keep up with the stream of enemies that kept attacking her. She had begun to run out of knives, so she resorted to moving from body to body, fighting as she went. When she reached one with a knife stuck in it, she would yank it out and immediately plant it in another Krieger. She was saved several times by her ability to interfere with the equilibrium of her enemies. Right before a Krieger could land a killing blow, She would interrupt him, causing him to stagger, fall to the ground, and convulse, vomiting or clawing at his ears. Even so, she had suffered a few gashes, a black eye, and a bloodied nose. Molotov shone in this kind of fight. Super strong and resilient, he was engaging nearly half of the Kriegers inside of the barriers. With an almost casual backhand, he would send two or more Kriegers flying, necks broken. A kick turned another into a ragdoll projectile, knocking down several of his allies. He would even use individual Thulians as weapons, swinging them around to bludgeon others, or as shields to take incoming energy blasts. It was like watching a god swatting defiant mortals, scattering them like toys. But this didn't seem to do more than put a dent in the oncoming horde of Thulians. "'I'm about sick of this shit,' If they were occupied with the infantry for much longer, the trooper armor would reach them. And sooner or later, someone was going to miss his mark and get killed, even with Sarah and John trying to be everywhere at once in the fight. Time to get some breathing room. John saw in his mind what he needed to do, and knew that Sarah understood as well. Everyone, drop! He shouted as loudly as he could, hoping it was enough to reach over the din of fighting, or that at least they'd hear it through their ear implants. Unter responded immediately, but had to drag a cursing bear down. Molotok dove for the ground as well, but while sweeping and breaking the legs of half a dozen Kriegers. Mamona stood with her back to him. Either she hadn't heard him or was a bit groggy from whatever had blacked her eye. John was already building up his fires, and there was nothing he could do. They didn't have any time left. But once again, Sarah anticipated him. As she leapt back over the barrier to take cover, one enormous wing swept out and pulled in with a flash of fire feathers, sweeping Mamona back in toward Sarah with it. With the wing curled around her comrade, Sarah went to the ground, taking Mamona with her, the wing over her like a sheltering umbrella. He'd done this twice before, once back in that warehouse and once at the North American HQ, but both times wildly out of control. This time, the control came to him as if he had practiced this very maneuver a hundred times. The release of his fires would not be chaotic and random, but precise. As precise as Sarah's strikes. With the rest of the team clear, John released the pent-up fires in one burst, a plasma wave, traveling at roughly neck level, issued in all directions, centered on him. It caught the majority of the Kriegers in the upper chest, neck, or face. It was a grisly sight as their newly shortened bodies fell burning to the ground. The monument wall was scarred in one thick line, not quite enough to cut completely through the heavy marble and bronze. The rest of the team quickly regained their positions, shoving aside the bodies. Movement to their left caught John's attention. In the conflagration he had created earlier, he saw the stunned robo-wolf begin to regain its footing. We've got problems. He checked his rifle, making sure it was topped off, then did the same with his pistol. With Pavel's energy levels so low, he couldn't possibly pull off another plasma shot. Also, due to the way these new wolves were hardened to fire, his own powers wouldn't have much effect. If that robo-wolf led another charge, the team would be in real trouble. They had only barely managed to survive that last one. Molotok seemed to size up the entire situation at the same time as John. Looking around the barrier, he bent down and grabbed one of the last living Kriegers, one of the ones he had broken the legs of with his last leg sweep he headbutted the Thulian, either killing it or knocking it unconscious. Setting it on the barrier, he then shrugged off his patrol pack, dug around in it for a second, and then retrieved one of their mission-specific ordnance packs, essentially a demolition charge to be used on one of the Krieger shield generators. Grabbing the dead or unconscious Krieger, he first primed the bomb, then stuffed it down the front of the man's field blouse. Looking to the now-standing robo-wolf, he paused, judging the distance, and then threw the Krieger in a fastball pitch at the wolf. The wolf had time to look up right before the Krieger messily impacted its neck. In a moment of revulsion, it reminded John of a really big, juicy bug hitting a windshield on the interstate. Down, Molotov said calmly. The team dropped behind the barrier again. John glanced over at the team leader and saw that he had a detonator in his hand. Smiling, he flipped up the activation latch and then thumbed the trigger. It sounded like two tectonic plates had decided to slam together in an earthly high-five right in front of them. The ground bucked and the entire team was bathed in a too-hot pressure wave. When they had regained enough of their senses to look... John saw that one of the wolf's claws was embedded in the wall just above his head, still smoking. Peeking over the top of the cover, there was a sizable crater and nothing else where the Robo-Wolf had been. All of the trooper armor in the square had been knocked down, with several of them obviously dead from the explosion or the debris it had sent flying out. You guys sure know how to get my attention. Vix sounded exhausted. Good job, Moji. Passing the word to the rest that the dogs can get blowed up real good. Might as well use those bombs on something. Rodrios were being out of neon signs to get little witch's attention. Bombs seemed good alternative. You do know those are special payloads, right? Lots of thermite, Or whatever the hell the hot stuff echo packed in there is, I didn't get details. Probably why the wolf went... sec. The Krieger troopers had begun to recover. Most of those that were able to began shooting as soon as they could stand, while others dragged some of their fallen comrades away. Soon the energy beams were constant, slamming into the obelisk barriers and the wall again. The relief carvings were almost unrecognizable now. Whatever the stone was, it might look like marble, but it was holding up better against the beams than John had thought it would. Still, their cover was wearing down, slowly but surely. For some reason, the Krieger troopers weren't advancing, just firing and pinning the team in place. John did his best to blast several with fire so that the team could whittle away at them with their rifles, taking out the odd one with his plasma, while Sarah did the same with her spears but the Kriegers refused to advance. They're up to something. We need to figure out an exit strategy, and soon. John's words were drowned out when the first of the artillery hit. The artillery was some sort of weird type that John had never seen before. When the shell impacted, it also seemed to release a burst of the same energy that Thulean arm cannons fired. It fell short of their position but it was utterly devastating where it did land. Apparently the Kriegers weren't worried about creating a few potholes, or even taking down some buildings, so long as they took out Red Team. Slowly, but methodically, the impacts started to march forward, coming closer and closer to the team. I'm really not liking this, fellas. Mamona huddled beneath the cover, wincing with every explosion. The team had nowhere to go. The troopers were keeping them pinned, and the artillery was still homing in on them. John's mind searched for alternatives, something that they could do. He and Sarah could grab some of the team, maybe fly, but they couldn't hold everyone, and they'd surely be cut to ribbons by the troopers. Could Vix make them a hole deep enough to hide in? If she could have, she would have already. Everyone on the team looked to each other, hoping someone had some idea to save them. They all realized that there was nothing to be done. They were stuck. John's heart sank, and he took Sarah's hand, just falling onto the back of his glove from the shaking monument. We've had a damned good run and made the bastards pay for it. I just hope that we beat him in the end. His eyes met Sarah's, and he felt a sense of calm as she met his gaze solemnly. He wouldn't be alone this time. He would never be alone again. He was about to tell her that he loved her when something tickled the back of his mind, causing him to look over his shoulder. For the briefest moment, he thought he saw dark figures running on the rooftop. He was almost convinced that he was just seeing things. Then the artillery stopped abruptly. The troopers' energy cannons slackened their firing, then stopped completely. Sto'yebat? Unter looked more annoyed than surprised. The team collectively peered over the barriers. The troopers were looking around, shouting to each other in confusion. The artillery started up again suddenly, but this time it was much closer to the Krieger lines than it was to the team and it started moving towards the Kriegers. Some of them broke and ran, but others weren't as lucky. The blasts demolished entire sections of buildings, bursting trooper armor or simply obliterating it in an explosive wash of energy. Once it became clear that the team's demise wasn't so certain, all of the CCCP infiltrators resumed shooting again, many times at fleeing targets. Soon the entire squad was a burning ring of destroyed buildings and dead Thulians. The artillery stopped once again. After several seconds, there were multiple explosions in the distance, at different points in the city. Stay on guard. Not knowing what is coming next, be prepared to move out. Molotov couldn't help but let some measure of being impressed at the destruction creep into his voice. Vicks was swearing softly under her breath. Alice de Someone just bought a bunch of our people some breathing room, she said after a moment. It wasn't just you. Fire, earth, north, and sky were all pinned down, like you. Now, they're not. And those artillery pieces just blowed the hell up. And it wasn't our people, Vic? John asked, surveying the damage. He could still hear fighting off in the distance, but for the moment, it looked like their area was clear of any threats. He couldn't feel any hostile presences, as weird as it was to think about. Gotta talk with Sarah more about this hoodoo stuff. I'm not complaining, but damn if it isn't strange as I'll get-out. Contact front! That was Mamona. The team all snapped their attention in the direction she was looking from, rifles raised, or in Sarah's case, a spear. Through the dust and smoke from the burning trooper armor, John could see that there was a sizable group moving towards them. And they were moving professionally, all sectors covered, good spacing, keeping their footfalls light. Another one of the infill teams? They weren't showing up on Vic's radar. Some sort of Krieger trick? Reviving the old stormtrooper infiltration methods, maybe? Wait. There was one blip marked as friendly, but there were still too many moving figures to account for. As soon as the first of them cleared the smoke, John knew it wasn't a Krieger trick. The uniform, the patches, and especially the woman leading the group clearly identified who they were. Blacksnake, with Kanjar, kitted up in full combat gear, and VGs perched up on the top of her head, leading the way. They must have come in at close to the same time that the teams had, in the pre dawn. Do not be letting your guards down. Not telling what these snakes are to be playing at, Bear muttered. Unter nodded agreement, lightly elbowing Mamona to remind her to bring her rifle back to her shoulder. But Sarah leapt lightly over the barrier and approached them, empty handed, lining for Kanjar. Molotov and the other Russians all tried to protest, but she was already there by the time any of them realized what she intended to do. John held up his hand, then lowered his rifle to a low ready. She knows what she's doing, gents. John vaulted over the barrier, walking to meet with his wife. He turned back to face the team briefly. All the same. Cover me, will you? Hunter nodded. John arrived by Sarah's side just as she started talking. Molotov had decided to move up with him, so that they were both flanking Sarah. Sarah was already holding out her hand. Kanjar, so we have you to thank. Kanjar looked at the outstretched hand as if it was a cobra, and took it gingerly for a moment. Don is indisposed, not paying any attention to this part of the world, nor to what I was doing in it. And I had a contingent that was loyal only to me. She let go of the hand and looked up. Belladonna and I have had an understanding for some little while. It seemed a good moment to exercise my option to aid. We followed on your team's, after they had already drawn away most of the fire. And Bella does not know you are here? Sarah cocked her head to one side, inviting an answer. She does now, Vic said in their ears. I thought only I could swear like that. Kanjar shook her head. It seemed prudent not to divulge anything to anyone. Not even my group knew what I intended, other than we were going to strike at a Thulian stronghold, not where we were going, until we arrived. Now John spoke up. Why? What's your play in all of this? he asked. His voice maybe be harder and sharper than he had intended. But Blacksnake had tried to kill him, personally, twice. Dominic Verdigris had tortured and nearly killed Sarah, and right at this moment, he damn well was going to look this particular gift horse in the mouth. Because I have no intention of destroying my karma by being involved with the murder of a celestial, Kanjar replied, also sharply, and then did a double-take in John's direction. She amended, Celestials... She took a deep, deep breath, and then shook her head slightly, as if she had been taken quite entirely by surprise and didn't like the sensation. Now how in the hell does she know about that? More to talk to Sarah about later. We've got work to do right now. And I intend to enjoy the world, she continued. I do not think it would be nearly so pleasant with these dogs ruling it. She glanced slightly to her right as the man there nodded. Neither do these men. I chose them with care. They have not been pleased that we have been combating things other than Nazis. So, you are to be helping us. Horosho. Molotov paused. Overwatch, what is best course of action at this point in mission? Without any prompting that John could hear, Sarah unhooked her earpiece and held it out. Vicky's amplified voice came through loud enough to be heard by all of them. Since we've blown any chance of secrecy, I'm told by command to relay that Red, Earth, Fire, North, South, Sky, and Sea are directed to link up and make a concerted push, Directions are on your HUDs for link-up. Objective to be selected at that time. Molotov pointed towards the direction that the HUD outlined to the nearest infiltration team. You and your forces will be accompanying us. Once joined with our comrades, we will destroy the fascista. Kanjar ignored him, looking directly at John and Sarah instead. Sarah glanced at John covering fire for our movements she murmured john shook his head no nah. moji's right we can't afford to get pinned down like that again we'll stick together move in concert fire and maneuver warfare operative kanjar i now have your black snake team freaks patching in now i won't be giving orders just warning and directions some info on your HUDs. Orders will be up to you and Molotok. My feed to your HUDs will be blue. Kanjar's eyes widened for a moment. That was better than military-grade rolling encryption on our comM systems. You are a useful one. And you're a damn useful ally. Thanks. Kanjar licked her lips as if they had gone dry. This cannot be Celestium. She is not, so what is... She said, but immediately shook her head. No, I do not wish to know. We will take left flank. With that, she whistled shrilly and her team formed up. John turned to Sarah, cocking his head to the side. After all this is over, remind me to ask you what the hell that was all about sometime. Trust, beloved, Sarah replied, her gaze bathing him in warmth. It is all about trust. She hurried after Molotov. Quickly, we must go. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jagger and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 international license. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.